friends, welcome back to the Quick Conversations. One of the things I get to do that I love here on the show is introduce you to new friends. And I've got a new friend, Sam McCade, singer, songwriter, worship pastor out of Texas, that I get to sit down with today and talk about his life, his music, and how God helped him through a season of hurt, and how hurt can kind of shape some good things. So I think you're going to love this conversation. Sam's got some music out. We talk about an upcoming album that's not out yet, a worship live worship album. But the uh, Altar Fire EP, man, get on that album, listen to it. It's got some great tracks. Sam's got some interesting sort of commentary on things happening in the church through the music he wrote. Uh, I think you're going to love it. Um, so track with him. So and without further ado, here is our conversation with Sam McCabe. Hey friends, welcome back to the Collectives Conversations podcast. Um, I got a new friend on the on the show with me, Sam McCabe. He's a singer, songwriter, worship pastor from Montgomery, Texas. I have no idea where that is, but we're going to find out. He's the worship pastor at Restoration Church. He co-leads there with his wife, Samantha. Sam and Sam, we'll get into that confusing conversation in a little bit. And they have two mm-hmm. kids, Hudson and Silas. Um, again, I love dads. I'm a dad, so that's great. But what I found out about you, Sam, is that at 11 years old, you joined your worship team. Who lets an 11-year-old on stage? <laughs> uh, it's funny. So it was the youth band um, at our youth group. And for the first month, I, I played electric guitar. I had okay. an aqua green Fender Strat. Um, and, but the worship pastor wouldn't let me plug it in. So I was unplugged for the first oh, month. Awesome. And I think, I think, it, was, I think it was like a uh check your pride kind of thing okay um what he didn't account for is that because i wasn't plugged in i had free range to just walk around or jump around or do whatever i wanted to (laughs) so i was untethered um so yeah i joined uh, at 11 played electric guitar through middle school and then high school switched over to drums and played drums for the rest of high school in the youth band and uh yeah so i love that so i was a youth pastor and i know some of my friends who listen to are in youth ministry and i think that's a modern, not modern, but it's a, a typical way of thinking. Like we're going to put a kid up there on guitar and we're going to leave him unplugged, which seems like the right thing. till you, till you say what you say and you can wander around the stage kind of free range. <laughs> maybe, maybe the answer to this to my youth pastor friends is plug the kid in and mute him from the back. Like that might be what we need to do yeah. guys. It's a valuable lesson. Yeah. Learned. So you moved from, yes. from guitar to drums but now you're you're sort of leading worship. Tell me about the evolution of that and kind of how you grew into being a worship leader. Yeah, so um, I've been able to drums was my first instrument. I I feel like I've always known how to play them. It, they've made sense to me when I watch other people play, and so I didn't take any like lessons or anything. But I always just kind of knew how it worked. Um, and then I switched over to guitar. My dad played guitar, so that was always something that was in our household. Um, and the band, the youth band, had a drummer. So, but we for some reason we had like three electric guitar players. Um, <laughs> and so, and uh, so I was I was playing guitar for a while, um, and then moved to drums. And then I graduated high school. But even while I was playing drums in the youth band, like I was playing guitar all throughout the week. I was a huge Dave Matthews band fan, so I was oh, like learning okay, yeah. all of Dave songs and and everything like that. And, um, I started experimenting senior year of high school with, uh, writing lyrical songs up until that point. I've, I'd written like a bunch of instrumental songs. 
Right. Um, but I never really thought I had a good singing voice. And so I just never really took that step. But at the time, this was like 2008, 2009, um, auto tune was like really big, uh, yeah. in pop music in the sense of like, kind of like the T pain type stuff. Right. Um, and so I was just messing around with that. I started dating Samantha right after high school and I wrote her this song and I just auto tuned the heck out of the vocals. Um, and I showed it to her and it was probably terrible. Um, but I guess she saw something in it. She was all state choir, like all through high school. She's a phenomenal singer. Um, and the church she was at was looking for a youth worship leader. And so she threw my name in the hat because she was moving off to college. And, uh, so I came in on a Sunday morning, sang for like the 15 kids. I'd never sang in front of anyone before. Oh, wow. I, hadn't, I hadn't even sung in front of her before. I just showed her the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting up there while well, standing and my, my knees are just shaking. I feel like I'm <laughs> going to pass out. Um, and then over time, I, f- I feel like I kind of f- found my voice, figured it out, whatever you want to call it. But the, yeah. the nerves kind of went away. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah, that's kind of how it transitioned and... And then I was I was doing that, but also playing drums in the main service. So I kind of kept both things yeah. going for a little while, and then eventually it just kind of became all worship. I, I'm gonna take a rabbit trail because I'm nerdy like this, and you got to just understand. Like I love music. I have Let's no skill, no skill at all. Okay, <laughs> but on Netflix, there's a series called The History of Pop. Have you watched this? I believe so. But there's a whole episode uh-huh. on T-Pain and the auto-tune. Like, it was a whole, like... Oh, yes. It's like Yeah, I remember that. And, like, the truth about it is T-Pain can sing. Like, like that's the I whole... think the episode was kind of sad. Yeah, it was really Wasn't weird, it? Like, how, how it, like, ruined his career. Like, like he yeah. actually has, like, this great singing voice, but, like, he used auto-tune in, like, a couple songs. And, like, it, like, while he blew up, like, nobody, like, everybody was mad at him about it because, like, ruined music, essentially. Yeah. Or what they thought. So, anyways, that's the nerdy side of me. So, you auto tune this song for your for your then girlfriend Samantha, and it led to the yep. open door. Tell me a little bit about the church and how you transitioned from the youth worship guy and playing the drums in the main service to where you are now at Restoration Church, leading and uh, you and Samantha co lead, correct? Uh huh. Oh well, a lot of times we do. There are times where like we our church is really blessed. We have a lot of musicians. We have a lot of female vocalists. We don't have a lot of male vocalists. So um, I fill in whenever I need a a lot of, we prefer to lead together, but sometimes she'll lead with the team or I'll lead with the team. But yeah. Um, So I was leading worship for youth doing that. And I was always like, once I started doing that, I was like, oh man, I just, I have to release my own worship stuff. And that was when like, Bethel music and Jesus culture were like on the ascent. Right. And, um, and so I started, I think I released my first full album in 2011 and hopefully you can't find it anywhere. Um, because I, I believe I have taken it down. Um, but now uh, now I'm in search. I will be on Spotify looking for this. (laughs) Just don't post any links if you find, (laughs) um, so I was doing that. Samantha and I transitioned out of that church and went to a church that we had started going to the young adult ministry. Um, and we started going there. We got on the worship team, like in rotation, that church had a ton of musicians. Yeah. Um, and so 
whereas a lot of churches that we had been at before, it was like, hey, if you're the worship leader, you're there every week. Mm-hmm. And every week is the same every week. This church was like, we have 10 worship leaders and we have like each station on the stage has like four musicians deep. And so oh, wow. we're just all rotating in all the time. That's super um, healthy. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, and so we just started leading there. Samantha and I um, in 2013 took over the young adult ministry at the church. Um, I love to preach. I, it's like I almost like it more than worship leading okay. a little bit. Um, and so that was really awesome. We were kind of doing both things. We transitioned out of that church in 2015 because we were uh, asked to be a part of a church planning team that was going to plant a church in Tel oh, Aviv, excellent. Israel. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, so we were we were on our way doing all that stuff. And then the mission organization that was sending us kind of fell apart. And so mm-hmm. we didn't end up going. Well, we went for like a month to like just kind of scope it out, um, spy out the land, if you will. Yeah, come um, on. Joshua and the spies, and, uh, let's go. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, but then everything fell apart and we had to go get normal jobs. And so Samantha went and worked uh, in the title industry. And then I went and worked at a fine dining restaurant. And so we were doing that for a few years. Um, I got hired at a a Methodist church right up the road um, yeah. in Montgomery. But it's, so Montgomery is like an hour or so north of Houston. Okay. Um, and so I was at this church. And it was a really healthy experience because walking away from the church we had been at, which was a, a more, I would say more, it's a very charismatic church okay. where we went. Sometimes there's this pressure to like have a moment when you're leading worship. Um, mm-hmm. Like there has to be some spontaneous thing or something has to happen. And I just kind of got real cynical about that for a few years. And so being at this Methodist church, there was like, there were people in their nineties who had been going there since they were a kid, which yeah. I don't. I don't have a grid for that kind of church uh, involvement or commitment. Like everyone I know is like at their church for like seven or eight years and then they move on to somewhere else, you know? So, but at this church, it was, it was mostly um, over 50 in terms of age demographic and there was no pressure at all. It was like, Hey, just get up, sing songs, Mm -hmm. leave the congregation and then get off stage. And so that was actually a really healing place um so so let me let me just interject the question did you yeah. grow up charismatic pentecostal no i grew up southern baptist okay <clears throat> i've been all over the map so okay. um yeah okay uh, so you so, grew up southern baptist we at was at a charismatic church and then moved on to a methodist church which would have had a little more like what we well it's all liturgy but they had been more liturgical in structure yeah and like formal pastors are wearing robes kind yeah. of thing so, yeah. so I want to talk briefly. You, you kind of really jumped over something I think is important. So there was the in-between time. You guys were headed to Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv didn't work out, which is just a crazy idea to go plant church in Tel Aviv to begin with. Um, and then you went and got what you called normal, normal <laughs> jobs. Tell me about the in-between time when you and Samantha are, are now not working in church, but you're, you still have this great call and passion, obviously. What was that like? What was that sort of in between season and the wrestling and the searching kind of like when 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 it feels like the Lord sort of put something on pause or but really put a stop to it, and now you're sort of what we vocationally out of ministry. What was that season like yeah. for you guys? Um, it was probably the hardest time we've had in our life, um, and so 
going from a charismatic church where like the perception is that God is always speaking. He's always, you know, people are always mm-hmm. prophesying over one another. Um, you kind of always have your sail up to see which way the wind is blowing kind of thing. Yeah. And so for us, it was really disorienting because we thought God had called us to do this thing. And now mm-hmm. this thing didn't work out. So it's like, okay, um, like, did we hear God? Mm-hmm. And then the next question is, can you hear God? Is that actually a thing? Oh, wow. Or are we just, is this all, is this all a cultural thing that we've all bought into, but it's not actually real? Um, wow. And so questions. that was all stuff, stuff we were wrestling with. Um, we also ignored a lot of the red flags in the process. A lot of the precursors of mm-hmm. this mission organization kind of falling apart. Um, we were just, you know, kind of pressing through by, by faith. Right. Uh, and so all of that was just like upended. And then in the midst of that, we went and got normal jobs. This was like the beginning of 2016. Well, mid 2016, we found out we were pregnant with our first child mm. and it was a daughter. Uh, her name was Harper. And we were super stoked. We thought this is like, this is like the light at the end of the tunnel Yeah, for our season of kind of lament that, well, we, we, we weren't just lamenting that the Israel thing didn't work out. We were also lamenting that certain people that we really trusted turned out to be not trustworthy. We mm-hmm. lamented like some theological positions that we were holding that we found out maybe aren't true. Um, <clears throat> and so, and then at the beginning of 2017, uh, we found out she, I think Samantha was 32 weeks pregnant. Um, we found out that Harper didn't have a heartbeat in wow. the womb. She had, she had passed away the, like, I think the day before. And then the next day, Samantha was like, Hey, I, I haven't felt her move. And so mm-hmm. she went to the hospital and they found out there was no heartbeat. So we had to go into the maternity ward and like give birth. Like it was wow. an, a normal birth, but it wasn't. Gosh. And so, the thing that we thought was like the light at the end of the tunnel ended up being something that was like the worst thing that's ever happened yeah. um, to us. And, and that, so yeah, that few year period was uh, pretty dark. It was, yeah. it was, it yeah, was so, really, really so difficult. How do you watch, like, and in ways we're still kind of processing that. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know that you ever, I mean, I think the Lord heals you, but I don't know that you're ever really come back from something like that, that they just, the heart, the the heartbreak no. that is extreme. So then, how do we? It, I mean, it's like it, it's you carry it with you. Like yeah. you're you're. It's not that you. It, yeah, like what you said. God heals you, but you're still you're never the same. Ah, um, yeah. I you can't go back to how you were, yeah. and so, yeah, yeah. Man, that's I that's I didn't know that part of the story. That's incredible. How did you guys eventually get through that season of darkness um, into where you are now? It seems like you're you're both kind of leading and writing songs and there's, there's good things coming in down the pipeline for you. Tell me how we, how we got through that. Cause I, I know we have friends listening who are maybe not facing the same darkness, Sam, but they are in a season of darkness. I've walked through seasons of darkness myself, seasons of being outside of vocational ministry and in what we call normal jobs for people who are in ministry. Um, what, what did the Lord do? what did you learn about the Lord or what got you through to where you're, still hanging on to Jesus. Cause I know I got friends who go through darkness and like, I know we say, hold on to hope and Christ is going to get you through. But sometimes that gets really hard. How did you guys hang on and get through that? Um, well, as cliche as it sounds, I mean, it's really only by the grace of God, I guess. Um, you know, trying to 
think about what life was like at that time. Um, we were, I, I processed a lot of my pain through music. So Samantha mm-hmm. and I released the EP called through the night, which came out in December of 2017. And all of those songs have to do with kind of our processing of our daughter passing away. And there's a song on there um, called from the start. And it's just based out of Psalm 139. And I actually wrote that song the morning that Harper passed away. But before we found out, Mm. um, I was on my way to work and I was sitting down in her nursery and I just started playing this guitar riff that's at the top of the song. If you listen to it and I just started singing the song and, but I had to go to work. So I kind of did a quick voice memo of it and then was like, okay, I'll, I'll work on this when I get back. And as I'm pulling out of the driveway, I hear this thing on the inside of me. That's like the next time you come home, everything will be different. And I was like, my, my initial thought was, man, I hope my house doesn't burn down. Like, yeah. I don't, I hadn't, I don't, yeah, I didn't know yeah. what to think. Um, and so then later that day, we found out she had passed away. And I just kind of shelved that song for a while until we started realizing, like, I think we need to process this through music. And so mm-hmm. I pulled that back out and I finished it, like, kind of in as homage to her, yeah. as an homage. And, um, and I wrote this other song called Sunshine, which I consider to be the first good song I've ever written. And and so in a way, it's it's like the gift that pain gives you sometimes is it kind of pushes you further into who you are. Like I, I know for me, I, a lot of the songs that I had written previously were like me doing an imitation of something that I liked, whether that be like I was saying earlier, Jesus Culture or Bethel. Mm-hmm. Um, or more rock and roll things that I'm, I like, but I would always write songs that were different, but then I would be like, nah, that's weird. Um, and now when I come across those, I'm like, oh, those are actually my songs. Um, really lyrical, you know, saying mm-hmm. words that you wouldn't typically hear in a song, that kind of stuff. So do the, the hardship, so going- just real quick, Sam, did the, do you think the yeah. hardship help you find your authentic voice in that? Is there something about that season of darkness Absolutely. that you really sort of, you're like, you found who you were. It kind of stripped away all the pretentiousness. Mm, okay. um, and it's like, I, I have to say this because now that we've gone through something like this, the lyrics that I'm singing in worship music matter a lot more. Yeah. Because I know that there are people in the congregation who have gone either through what we've gone through or are walking through something different, but, and you know, cause all trauma is relative, I guess. Um, like they're walking through something that for them is just as traumatic. Like, yeah. um, I, I can't be flipping about the words that I'm using in, in songs that I'm writing. And so I really started to care about that. Um, yeah. And I just started kind of trying to explore that voice more and not really concern myself with what other people thought about the music that I was writing. I just had to write stuff to process my own pain. And in addition to that, I, I would say that reading uh Victor Frankel, Victor Frankel's book, man's search for meaning mm-hmm. was really impactful. Um, you know, for those who haven't read the book, it's, it's pretty much his journal um, as he's in a concentration camp. Um, and he's talking about guys in the camps who just can't bear the reality of their situation. And so they will just purposely run into the electric fence to just end it. And he talks about, uh, cause he's a psychiatrist. He's, he's like talking to these guys in the camps and he's like, 
Um, just be, I, this is not the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of like, just because you're done expecting something out of life doesn't mean life is done expecting something out of you. Yeah. And that statement for me was like, I can't give up. I have to keep going. Yeah. And I, I can, me continuing to move forward doesn't mean I'm dishonoring what happened. Mm-hmm. It actually means that I can receive the gifts of what has happened. And it, that's kind of a weird statement to say, but like what I was talking about earlier about the pain and the trauma and all that kind of stuff, ripping away the pretentiousness and kind of forcing me to be who I am in terms of a songwriter and stuff like that. Like that's a gift that I don't know if I, I would have been able to do had stuff like that not happened. Yeah. And, and, and so I think yeah. it, like from my perspective and I told you, I, I discovered you via the, the almighty algorithm, I think, uh, or whatever it is on Instagram, you know, Praise God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I think the Lord is in the algorithm. Other times I'm not so sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, it came, you came across my page with your priest of the modern age. Um, it's just a, a little reel you made with part of the song. You had a piano, I think, singing the first or maybe second verse of that song. Um, and the mm-hmm. lyrics really captured me. I'm a, I, I've confessed to everybody, I'm a music guy with no music skill, have a deep passion for music. Um, and especially lyrics as a communicator, I think words are important to me. Um, it stood out to me. And I went and searched out like your music and have listened to uh, Ulcer Fire, (laughs) especially volume two. Do you think sort of that authentic voice that you discovered during that season, um, mourning and grieving and healing, have given you maybe permission, I don't know if that's the best word, but permission to write the songs you've written for the first and second uh, volume of Ulcer Fire? Because they're really raw they're real. They're they're not something typically said in a song. Do you think that yeah. season shaped that? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I would even frame it like it, going through that gave me permission as much as it is. It as it maybe it's the same thing just from a different angle. Is it stripped away like any reservation I would have had to not mm-hmm. do that? Okay. Because yeah. now I'm just like I have to. I have to be honest. Like I can't. Um you know, I had signed a publishing deal, um, in 2021, um, to a major Christian label that mm-hmm. it was awesome. And at, when I signed that Samantha and I, we were sitting down in the house and she goes, Hey, you have to promise me that you will always be honest in your songs. Like, yeah. don't just because you're signing a publishing deal to this major Christian label, don't start phoning it in on lyrics. Like you have to maintain right. that. And so that's been something that's been a, a heavy priority for me is, and that, well, that's the thing too, is like, I don't, a lot of my songs, I don't write for other people. I write for myself. Like they're my own inner processing. And if you can identify with it, great. And if yeah. you like it, awesome. If you didn't like it, then it wasn't for you anyways. Like I did this for myself and I would be putting out music if 70 people listened to it. Cause for <laughs> many years, a lot of my <laughs> songs only had like 70 streams. Um, it's okay. You know, Oh yeah, it's fine. If you do it because you love it, then keep going. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. But that's... Yeah, it does. So let's let's talk about Alter Fire, especially the second volume that you just released. Yeah. You're, we'll talk about the the upcoming album. You did a worship album that you did a Kickstarter for. 
that's forthcoming. Yep. We'll get to that in a minute. But in the in the interim, you took these, I think, six or eight songs that you had on your hard drive and felt like you needed to get them out. And this little EP called Alter Fire. But they're like extremely honest. They're extremely pointed and poignant at the same time about some things we're seeing in the church, especially around two critical conversations that seem on polar opposites of the side of the fence, but the celebrity Christianity piece and then the deconstruction Mm -hmm. piece. Like there just Mm, seems to be this dialogue that you're having. I don't know if you're having it with yourself or with your surroundings, but what, what sort of inspired, especially the lyrics and the stories you're telling there? Um, well, they're all, they're all kind of different. You know, if you're talking about kind of the celebrity versus the deconstruction thing, you know, there's a song on there called Jesus Christ Superstars. And which I love that song is like, (laughs) yeah, I was like, oh man, this is great. I, I was so happy that that title came. It was just like, oh, this is awesome. Um, and so with that, I would say the inspiration behind that came from, you know, walking through that season of grief and, still feeling like I really want to follow Jesus. I actually don't feel like I have another choice. I feel, I feel inwardly tethered to him. Mm. Um, but a lot of what I see is, um, you know, if, if I want to listen to Christian podcasts, a lot of it is like kind of the celebrity culture, drunk on leadership techniques, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Or it's like, uh, I'm not going to name names of podcasts, but it's, okay. or it's like hyper decon, hyper deconstruction. Right. We're going to like look down on evangelicals and like, I just want to follow Jesus. That's it. Like, and neither one of these things are doing the, it's, they're all pulling me in at least what it feels like different directions. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote that song because I'm I'm kind of like, hey, and you can apply that too to like, you know, especially this year being an election year yeah. with the political climate. Like, it's like, man, I just want to follow Jesus. Um, I just want to be close to him and in his presence and all the other stuff is like, uh, I think one of the things that brought my wife and I kind of back around, like you were saying earlier, to kind of being in a more healthy place was realizing that our grief and our trauma had made us into really cynical people Mm. um, where, and I I like comedy, but we would just roast like movements, churches. We'd roast the people, all that kind of stuff, just like on our own and while we're hanging out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think over time, I just realized like, man, this is like turning me into somebody that I don't like. I I don't like this. And, um, and so we just kind of have to reckon with that and go, okay, Lord, like I repent. Like, yeah. I'm sorry that I've, I've kind of used what has happened to me as a license to just kind of be a not good person. And so, um, around that same time, this opportunity at restoration opened up to be the young adult pastor. So I did that for a little while for the first, like maybe year and a half that I was here, I wasn't really involved in the worship at all. Um, Cause like I was saying earlier, like I love preaching and I love teaching and, and I was fulfilled in doing that. Mm-hmm. And so then the opportunity arose in November of 21 to, uh, for Samantha and I to lead the worship ministry. And we've been doing that and it's been a blast. Yeah. 
Uh, and back to the the altar fire album, I, there's just some things you yeah. say there, Sam, that I I, I and I'm gonna encourage your friends. Let not, obviously stream it for Sam and make him a couple pennies, you know, whatever the return is on that. But there's some conversation oh, yeah. pieces in the album that I think are critical. It's just some things you're bringing up that I think a lot of us feel. Um, mm. and you're saying, um, priest of the modern age and validation and some of these tracks that are on there, and, and maybe it's just me. And maybe none of my friends feel this, but there's a almost a sense of being nomadic and vagabondish mm. in faith, where like if you don't fall on one side of the category, it's Jesus celebrity deconstruction, sure. liberal conservative, charismatic, whatever, because we've we've compartmentalized faith so much, you almost feel like an outcast and outsider, like. Like, I don't know, like, and I've got a tribe and I'm part of a denomination, those things. But there's sometimes I feel like the way I think scripturally about things, the way I read things makes me not always fit into context that I sit in. Has there been hmm. sort of, was that sort of the the thinking or is that sort of the emotions you had? Like, you're pressing on some real tough conversations with the EP. Was that some of it? Like, mm-hmm. you're just not fitting into certain boxes? Oh, totally. I I feel oh God. This sounds so pretentious, but I uh, I have always, to a degree, felt like an outsider. Um, Me too. Like I I was at a charismatic church, but I was raised Southern Baptist, and so like I was there. But for a lot of it, I'm like, dude, this is weird. Like I don't, I have no idea like what's happening right now. I'm Can not make sure. It, make a confession. I grew up Pentecostal yeah. charismatic, and sometimes I don't get it. So it's okay. Yeah. I was just like, is this is this the Holy Spirit or is this a bunch of ex hippies whose brains are kind of fried from the drugs they used to do, and now we're just kind of labeling it Holy Spirit? I don't know, yeah. um, and I don't say that cynically. It's just some of the questions I was asking as Those I was there as like questions. a Baptist. Yeah, yeah, and so then I moved out of there in a, a more Methodist expression, and so I've I've always felt like I'm in a place and I don't really belong there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of those songs, first of all, I'd like to say that because um, some people have commented on that Priest of the Modern Age video that um, relative to anything else I've ever done went fairly viral. Um, and, uh, you know, talking about me calling out stuff in the church and encouraging me in that. And I'm like, hey, like, I'm actually just calling out stuff in me, like all of the Alter Fire record, Validation, Insecurity. Mm-hmm. They're all songs about me. Um yeah about my own stuff. And if you can identify with that again, awesome. Um, and if you can, can see that in spades in a lot of the church world, then yeah, maybe we're onto something. But, uh, a lot of that stuff is just me trying to process my own inner world. Like, mm-hmm. um, priest of the modern age is a little finger pointy. Um, you know, but I think in regards to how, uh, both the church has engaged in, politics and how the church has engaged in consumerism um yeah. i think finger pointing is fairly warranted but well i don't i don't even think we have to point fingers i think it's almost stating the obvious like i, I don't want to and i'm not yeah. calling anybody out i just think if we all took a really kind of perspective look at the church there's a lot of consumerism like i, I just open your instagram somebody's going to sell you an e-course on something right like somebody's going to sell yeah. you a book somebody's going to sell you whatever i mean um Unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, this is what I do. I podcast as part of my ministry, but like 
we're always selling it feels like um and i just wonder yeah, how many i mean that's have... why people leave churches because they're not being fed like yeah. that in itself is consumerism yeah um and i would be everywhere i'd be afraid of some of the tables that jesus would turn if he showed up and so i hope it's not my table so um <laughs> like jesus, yeah, i hope he doesn't show up at my church <laughs> please, please like my merch jesus and don't turn it over right like or whatever yeah um, so I no, I appreciate the Ultra Fire album. Let's talk about the live worship album that you've been working on. Um yeah. interestingly enough, you you took a different approach. You did a Kickstarter to kind of mm-hmm. record that and get that off the ground. Why why that methodology? Why not shop it first? Why why cut it, then shop it? Um I think I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to music. And so um, even records like the ultra fire records are me. It's an exercise in, in letting go of control. Okay. The songs aren't mixed perfectly. A lot of the songs I, I made a rule, especially the first ultra fire record. I had like a 20 minute rule for each song. Like I'm not spending more than 20 minutes on each song. Um, And, you know, even that priest of the modern age, Instagram video, it, it can be a little annoying, honestly, as a as somebody who spends forever on like one song, and then you make a you make the Ultrafy record that you spend twenty minutes on, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing!" <laughs> and the song you spent forever on, no one listens to. Yeah, and it's like I I've been trying to do better with content, um, and posting stuff and be more thoughtful about what I post. And that video, out of all the videos I've posted in the last forty five days, is the one that I put the least amount of thought into, and that's the one that took off. So it's that's the algorithm for you, I guess. But um, with this one, I was like, okay, I've written some of these songs over the last few years that I was signed um, to a publishing deal. Mm -hmm. And they're just sitting on a Dropbox folder of all the songs that I've written in the last few years. But I really believe in them. And I I don't see other people cutting them because they are uh, noticeably me. In terms of like lyrical content, I think. So I was like, well, I was talking to a buddy of mine and he was like, well, how about you just like do a live record and do those songs yourself? And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. Um, and then I I wrote probably six more songs mm-hmm. and um, for the record. And I was like, okay, I know this is going to cost a lot of money. Um, the money that I raised for a Kickstarter was honestly a fraction of the total cost that it, that it, that record actually cost to make. Yeah. Um, I had a, a really, really, really generous person at my church, write me a very large check um, to cover what the Kickstarter didn't. And, um, and so going into the record, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to do this project um, because I believe in these songs. Initially there, there's a song on the record called reconstruct and Initially, that was going to be the title of the record because I wanted it to be like, I wanted it to have the feeling that we're coming out on the other side of the deconstruction movement. Yeah. Um, and then I wrote this song called The Death of Death. And I wrote it uh, while I was feeding Silas, who is our youngest, who is then like four months old. We were sitting um, on our bed and I was feeding him and I just started kind of lamenting that I didn't get to have the opportunity to do that with our daughter. Mm. And 
as I was just kind of sitting there in that feeling, this phrase came to mind that says the love of God is the death of death. And I was like, Oh, that's the record. That's what this record is, which the reconstruct theme fits underneath that. Yeah. Um, and so, and then I kind of wrote that song in the next like 15 minutes while I was sitting there feeding him. It just kind of all, um, to use kind of charismatic lingo, just all kind of downloaded to me, Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to take this approach where I'm like, well, it's kind of in step with everything I've done. I'm just going to do it myself. Um, in terms of like the planning, coordinating, fundraising, all that kind of stuff, which by the way, I hope I never have to do a Kickstarter again. I mm-hmm. hated that. Um, <laughs> Because just having on that like salesman hat for 30 days yeah. is is against my natural disposition. I understand. But um but yeah, um so my goal was to just make the best record I could. I, I wanted to be the final creative voice. I didn't want any labels or anyone telling me like, oh, this'll never be that or this'll never, you know, people won't listen right. to this. I just wanted to make a record that sounded like a rock and roll band made a worship record and um I wanted it to be awesome. And so I wanted total control. Yeah. And now that we're getting mixes back, it is awesome. <laughs> and um labels are interested. So okay. you had some you had some help on it. So let's you you had some, oh, for some sure, yeah. well known friends join you. Leland Mooring's one of them. Uh and I, mm-hmm. a couple other people have joined you on the record. Um what was it like to kind of have that collaboration with some friends? You you say you're a control yeah. freak, and I I see that. But you also invited some other people that have lend their voice to it. Why did those friends jump on the on the record with you? You think, Sam? Um. Well, I think because they're friends. Like yeah. I, you know, Leland's from Houston. I'm from Houston. Um, we had been writing together for a little while. Uh, we released a song together at the beginning of last year called "Jesus Loves the World." It was, it was, and it was such a great vibe. Like him and I, um, he's a big inspiration for me because a lot of the songs he writes are like way more creative than most worship songs. Yeah. And um, his City of God record gave, I think, gave permission to a lot of people like me to make a worship album that is not corporate. Like okay. it's, but it's still worship. Um, it might not be as like marketable. Uh, but, or it, it might not be as congregational, but it's still worship. And so I told him, Hey, I'm doing this record. I would love to write a song with you and have you feature on it. So he agreed to feature on it before we actually had a song for it. Awesome. And, uh, he came and came over to my house and we wrote a song. Um, and it's about kind of walking through trauma and grief. Um, and it's, it's really awesome. Uh, and then, you know, Andy Squires is on the record and Andy has been one of my closest friends since 2016, early 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if anyone listening hasn't heard of Andy Squires, like you have to go on Spotify and listen to all of his music right now. Um, his music is like, a, I think if you listen to his music, you'll see that my music is, um, very inspired by what he's, what he's okay. doing. Um, and there was a song that I had for the record that was really kind of like uh, 
the guy who I have producing it, Chris Davenport, was like, we should have this song sound like U2's number 40. Oh, I and, love that um, song. One of my all-time favorites. Yeah. And, and so we did that, and I was like, man, it'd be cool. Like, this song kind of has that Andy Squires vibe. I should ask him if he wants to sing on it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yes, I would love to. And then with Pat, Pat, whenever I – I released this song in late 2020 called I Want to Serve God that I just released that independently. I had no, like – no connections in the music world. I just released it. And then it kind of went viral on Instagram, opened up a ton of doors for me. And uh, a bunch of people were sharing that who were like pretty big Christian artists, Pat Barrett Mm -hmm. being one of them. And we had a conversation late 2020 and he was like, Hey dude, I think you should go to Nashville. I think you should really invest in what you're doing. Um, And if you, if you don't have any connections, when you go, just let me know and I'll connect you with everything. Also, like if you ever come to Atlanta, let me know and you can stay at my house and we can write and stuff. And so he was just super generous. And so every time we've been in the same city, we try to get together and hang. And so, um, and I had this song that is pretty congregational. It kind of, it has the same uh, chord progression as yes and amen, Mm, which, you know, is a song that house fires blew up many years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, I could hear Pat doing this. This feels like a Pat song. And so mm-hmm. I just asked him and he was like, yeah, I'd love to come down. Um, so it was all relational it, and it was really humbling too. Cause for Leland, like I remember watching him when I was a senior in high school, like three or four times at different events during the summer yeah. and just being like, wow, like this guy's like insane. He's incredible. And to think that like, oh, Hey, 15 years or so from now, you guys are going to be releasing music together. Like that would, that would have blown my mind. And so, um, yeah, it's a huge honor to have these people apart who have been voices in my life in different seasons. I I love, I love kingdom collaboration. I think we're seeing more of it in, um, millennials and in gen, (coughs) excuse me, in gen Z, especially like they are like the Mm -hmm. collaboration generation. Um, which I think is so wise. I think, my generation, older generations have been more competitive. Like I'm going to keep my thing, my thing. Um, and I think we win culture, like in the kingdom, when we learn the art of collaboration, when we can kind of, I'm going to bring my best and you bring your best and our best together multiplies and bring something better. Um, so I love that. So death to death is the name of the album. We got a time frame on that. Yes, Sam. When, when can we expect it? <laughs> I don't know. I wish I could say, I wish I could answer that question. And I'm not trying to be like those, you know, actors who do Marvel movies that like keep everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. hush. Like I genuinely, I genuinely don't know. I, I hope if it were up to me, I would have released the record a few weeks ago. We're actually finishing the record next week. We're doing a, um, a kind of a stream session with me, um, Chris Davenport, who's producing okay. and Jack Nellis who's mixing the record. We're going to kind of sit down virtually and, and listen to the record and, um, get final mixes and all that stuff so it'll be done hopefully next week but uh yeah i don't know i mean if it were up to me i I would love to release it at least a a few singles from the Mm -hmm. record the first half of the year um but right now i'm talking to a label that i I really hope it works out lord willing we'll see i I want god's uh you know yeah i've done too many things in my own maneuvering to know that like God's will is, is better than my own. So Lord willing, if it works out, that would be awesome. But when you're working with major labels, conversations like that, just take, 
it has longer. to be painful as a creative. Like, I, and I'm creative in, in some yeah. things, writing and other areas. Like, you want to get your art out as quickly as possible. Sometimes, I imagine that it's process. definitely an exercise in patience. Yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, especially now, like with priest of, that priest of the modern age video doing what it did. I'm like, should I just record like a piano version and release that and just like make little releases here and there before that live record comes to fruition. I mean, the thing that, uh, the thing that I don't like is I don't want to be sitting on this worship record so long that I'm not excited about it anymore. Yeah. Makes sense. And that people forget about it, but you know, it is what it is. I I think God's opened up a lot of doors. Yeah. And hopefully the, the release of it is a kingdom timing thing. Sometimes what I think about songs, and again, I'm not a musician. We, I've well documented that, but I, I think sometimes there's songs that are kingdom timing songs, and like yeah. when they hit and when they release is anthemic to the whole kingdom, not just a local church. Now I think there's songs for a local church, like like that's your house is singing that song because that means something to them. And I think there's other songs. And we are we are singing some songs off the record already. Yeah, at, and at think, my church. I think sometimes there's a song that like Waymaker was a kingdom song. Like it hit and like, not just because it's a great song, but like, I think there was something about it that the kingdom needed to sing. And so my prayer for you, Sam, is maybe some of these tracks are kingdom tracks and the timing of them becomes um, something we all need to sing. We all need to, to participate in. And I'll do my best here at our little podcast to make sure when death to death comes out or uh, yeah, death of death comes out, we'll leave the word out to listen and sing these Thanks. songs. So we're excited for yeah, you. Yeah. And same thing with the altar fire record. Like I think I've, I've been sitting on some of those songs like, um, servant son. Yeah. I've been sitting on as it was on the record. I've been sitting on that for two years. Wow. Um, and priest of the modern age, I've been sitting on that for, uh, about a year maybe, cool. um, before it released. And so a lot, and a few of those songs have been a few years in the making. And so, you know, I think I just shelved those songs because I wasn't like, so it was easier to be patient with it because I didn't really care about it very much. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this record, so much has, so much work has gone into it. So many people are involved that I'm like, I feel the pressure more so than I felt for the other ones. But if I can learn anything from it, it's that, okay, I released Alter Fire a few months back with songs that I've been sitting on for a few years and they're still speaking to people. So yeah. Yeah. You know, this no, record I, will probably be the same. Yeah. Also fire too. I mean, I've, I've streamed it several times and, um, again, like I said, you're, you're saying some things I think a lot of us feel, um, mm. if a lot of us is just me, then I feel it like I'll take ownership there. Um, but it's, yeah. And so I'm really looking forward to what, what comes of, of death. Um, the death of death album and, and hopefully they come soon and we get some singles out. Um, and I appreciate your vulnerability to share the story of Harper, man. I didn't know that coming into this conversation and, um, thanks for going there with us and sharing that hurt and, and what the God has done through that. Um, I have one final question. We'll wrap up the episode since our uh, show is called the collectives conversations. Uh, who is one person historical present fictional or in real life? that you would want to sit down and have a conversation with? Anybody? Oh, want? man.
I mean, I, I like Jesus. That would be great. <laughs> um, honestly, like right now we have, uh, he'll be five next week. We have a five-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old at the house. So, honestly, uh, the person I want to have a, a quiet dinner and conversation with is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. I understand that. So, if your church is listening, anybody in your church is listening, they need to take up the uh, the mantle and do some babysitting for you guys and uh, get you that night out. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. Man, babysitting's expensive nowadays, and, and they've adjusted for inflation. Oh, so my goodness. I, yeah. whew, mine, mine are past that age. Um, I'm learning that dog sitting's expensive now. My kids are kind of on the, the backside of teenage years or young adult years. But they charge a lot to even watch my dog. So, I mean, and he's pretty low-key. Oh, so. Anyway, Sam, I appreciate your time. Again, your vulnerability in the show was great. Um, thank you for sharing the stories. We look forward to the new album. In the meantime, go listen to the Alter Fire albums. Uh, the collab with uh, Sons of the Band, that song has just uh, been on repeat for me as well. And uh, just praying for you and Samantha and all that's happening there in Montgomery, Texas. Thanks for coming on the show. And as I always say here, you've got to see the table. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, friends. Thank you for joining us on another incredible episode of the Collective's Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion and want to stay connected to the Collective's Conversation, make sure to follow us in your preferred podcast platform. If something in the show really spoke to you, tag me on Instagram at Jeff underscore Pitts underscore. It would mean so much if you take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It goes a long way into shaping the future of our episodes and reaching a broader audience. We'll see you next week at the table for another great conversation. And be sure to check our follow-up episode titled Things I Learn every Tuesday following that week's episode. And remember, you have a seat at the table.